CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, excited to continue our journey together. But I must admit to you, this past week has been an embarrassment, an utter embarrassment for me, because I would say 80 to 85% of my waking hours were devoted to completing a jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw puzzle. A thousand-piece uh, a depiction of a bucolic Italian seaside town. Very colorful, gorgeous colors, every hue in the rainbow. The hardest jigsaw puzzle I have ever done because the pieces are small and they're so, they're, there was so much activity in that puzzle that it was hard to know, uh, you know what, was, what was hook and what was crook. Just very hard to discern. So it was hours, hours devoted to this singular and singularly pointless activity. Hours of frustration, hours hunched over the kitchen island trying to to find pieces that went together. And I made it doubly hard for myself because I wouldn't look at the image on the puzzle cover. I had had looked at it when I bought it. And then after that, I was like, I'm just going to do this. On, on my own. I had a vague idea of what it was going to look like, and I was determined to do it on my own. Pretending he's beside me all alone. We walk to something. Without him, I feel his arms around me, and then I something on on my own. Anyway, um, I really just needed to get through that just so I could sing the phrase on my own, but that's what I spent my week, my entire fucking week doing. I mean, 
Okay, at the beginning of the pandemic, you'd be like, yeah, you're stressed, you're like freaking out. Like a jigsaw puzzle, that's probably a good thing for you. But the fact of the matter is I'm not stressed out and I'm not freaked out. I'm just unemployed. That's all I am. But here's the thing. If it wasn't the jigsaw puzzle, okay, and I wasn't unemployed and it wasn't a pandemic, I'd still be doing the same exact fucking thing. Because I have a problem when it comes to these sorts of parlor activities. Okay? It could have been the jigsaw puzzle. It could have been Scrabble. It could have been Boggle. It could have been chess. All of these things, poker, all of these things, I have devoted inordinate amount of times at various points in my life towards with nothing to show for it. Okay, I bought a piano with poker money, but really nothing to show for it. So much of my life is wasted on these meaningless activities, and I don't understand it. Because it's almost a compulsion. It was with the puzzle. It was a compulsion. How many productive hours of my life have been lost to to parlor games? Like, what am I doing it for? But there's a gear in my brain that clicks when it comes to these sorts of activities. Could be Sudoku. Could be a crossword puzzle. Anything like where I can be hunched over straining my eyes. That's where I need to devote my time and energy. Why? The fuck is the matter with me? I finished the puzzle last night, and you'd think, oh, well, that, must, that must have been a real sense of accomplishment for you, Michael. No. It was just relief that I could let it go. And I'm not going to sing that song. It was just relief that I had completed the task, and then immediately my brain started going, well, what's next? What do, what do you do now? What, what are we doing now? Nothing. We're not doing anything, brain. That's what we're doing. Nothing. I'm not buying another jigsaw puzzle because if I do, I will never come out. I will go into that morass and I will drown there. It will be, it will be like quicksand for me. I will, I will just get buried in the quicksand and suffocate to death. I can't, I, I don't know what my problem is. Like if I just devoted a half of that time to anything that might benefit me or those I love in some way, I would and they would be so much better off. We're in chapter five, volume two. I've already wasted five and a half minutes complaining about my fucking brain. I will say this. When you do the jigsaw puzzle, you know, particularly if it's a hard jigsaw puzzle and you're just, you're frustrated and you're sweating bullets over this thing and there's a thousand pieces, that's a thousand opportunities to get a little hit of adrenaline. When you, when you put one of those pieces in and it fits and, 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 and it's well-designed and there's, a, there's just a gentle little click as it, as it snugs itself into its proper place, oh, oh, it's such a good feeling. I got to get another jigsaw puzzle. That's what I got to do. The big buddy is observing, as he has been doing for pages and pages now, this family, a strange woman appeared who seems to love Felix, and Felix seems to love her. She's called Safie. She plays the guitar. She's got regular features, we've learned, but she's beautiful. She's got beautiful, regular features. And Felix is trying to teach Safie how to speak their language, which I guess is Swiss or whatever they speak there, Romanche. Romanche? I don't know. And so he's reading to her, the book from which Felix instructed Safi was Volney's Ruins of Empires. And there's a footnote. I mean, right off the bat, a footnote. That's not what we wanted. I mean, we want to 
we want to keep going, don't we? But, you know, we're obligated to the footnotes. And so here it is. It's the Comte de Volney's Les Reines ou Méditation sur les Révolutions des Empires. It was a popular essay in the philosophy of history that impressed both Mary and Percy Shelley, written in 1791. So again, an anachronism in, within the context of this story. Annoying, but we're used to it at this point. I should not have understood the purport of this book had not Felix, in reading it, given very minute explanations. Yeah, of course. You know, what's the first thing he does? A woman comes into his life. What does he do? He mansplains. Just like me. I mean, that's who, that's who we are. And we love it. And you, ladies, you love when we do it. Mary, you love it when we do it. Go ask your boyfriend Percy about it. He'll explain it to you. He had chosen this work, he said, because the declamatory style was framed in imitation of the Eastern authors. Through this work, I obtained a cursory knowledge of history and a view of the several empires at, pre at present existing in the world. It gave me an insight into the manners, governments, and religions of the different nations of the earth. I heard of the slothful Asiatics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's where you're going to go, Mary? You're going to go with slothful Asiatics? My God, woman. What the hell is the matter with you? <laughs> of the stupendous genius and mental activity of the Grecians, of the wars and wonderful virtue of the early Romans, of their subsequent degenerating, of the decline of that mighty empire, of chivalry, Christianity, and kings. I heard of the discovery of the American hemisphere and wept with Safi over the hapless fate of its original inhabitants. So this is the second time that she has mentioned North American genocide. So it's interesting, to me anyway, that uh, even contemporary peoples of that time were looking at what was going on in North America and going, whoa, 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 we're, we're massacring people. There's a there's a there's an indigenous population there, and they are dying at our hands, and that's wrong. Like I always sort of think, you know, at that time the consensus was, well, you know, it's new land and you take it and it's fine. You know, I mean, you know, it sucks to be the other guy, but hey, what are you going to do? But apparently, you know, that there were contrary opinions, and that you know, it, it's reassuring to hear actually that people aren't just total dicks. Even then, they were like, hey, you know, this is wrong. There's people already living there. You can't just put up a colony and gentrify that neighborhood and have the people throw up their hands and be like, yeah, it's yours now. No. So interesting. I mean, you know, had they been Asi Asiatics, maybe she would have had a different opinion. Hard to say. These wonderful narrations inspired me with strange feelings. Was man indeed at once so powerful so virtuous and magnificent, yet so vicious and base. I can answer that one. Yeah. He appeared at one time a mere scion of the evil principle, and at another as all that can be conceived as noble and godlike. To be a great and virtuous man appeared the highest honor that can befall a sensitive being. To be base and vicious, as many on record have been, 
appeared the lowest degradation, a condition more abject than that of the blind mole or harmless worm. For a long time, I could not conceive how one man could go forth to murder his fellow, or even why there were laws and governments, but when I heard details of vice and bloodshed, my wonder ceased, and I turned away with disgust and loathing. So the big buddy apparently born with a pretty strong conscience. And, you know, that's uh, notable. You know, remember, Victor Frankenstein is making the distinction constantly, not constantly, a, a couple occasions between he, a human being, and the creature, uh, a non-human being, despite the fact that he is cobbled together from human parts, albeit oversized human parts. So there is a kind of implication here, from the Big Buddy's point of view, I guess, of a moral order in the universe that transcends our humanity. Or maybe what the Big Buddy is saying, ultimately, or what Mary Shelley is saying, is our creatures, those that we create as gods, all of our creations are imbued with a moral order, whether we like it or not, because there is a moral order in the universe. And when we trespass against it, that's when we create evil, right? You, you pluck that apple from that goddamn tree of knowledge. The next thing you know, you're cast out. Cain is slewing Abel. There's a flood. Sodom and Gomorrah are falling apart. Lot's wife is turning to stone. I mean, it's a disaster. If you had just followed the moral order, people, everything would be hunky-dory. But you don't do it. Every conversation of the cottagers now opened with new wonders to me, while I listened to the instructions which Felix bestowed upon the Arabian. The strange system of human society was explained to me. I heard of the division of property, of immense wealth and squalid poverty, of rank, descent, and noble blood. The words included me to turn towards myself. I learned that the possessions most esteemed by your fellow creatures. Oh, so, okay, so he's talking to Frankenstein, and here, this is, this is exactly what I was talking about. I learned that the possessions most esteemed by your fellow creatures were high and unsullied descent united with riches. Okay, but he's making a distinction himself, the big buddy is, between he as a being, and Frankenstein as a separate kind of creature from him. Different creature altogether. And yet, they both share a moral consciousness. The big buddies, the way he's telling it, seems to be elevated a little bit above that of your run-of-the-mill human Joe. But the, the rules, the moral rules of the universe seem to apply to them both and apply equally. A man might be uh, respected with only one of these advantages, but without either he was considered, except in very rare instances, as a vagabond and a slave, doomed to waste his powers for the profits of the chosen few. And what was I? Of my creation and creator I was absolutely ignorant. But I knew that I possessed no money, no friends, no kind of property, 
I was besides endued with a figure hideously deformed and loathsome. I was not even of the same nature as man. I was more agile than they, and could subsist upon coarser diet. I bore the extremes of heat and cold with less injury to my frame. My stature far exceeded theirs. When I looked around, I saw and heard of none like me. Was I then a monster, a blot upon the earth, from which all men fled, and whom all men disowned? Hard to say. I mean, yeah. I mean, that seems to, the answer seems to be yeah. Yeah, pretty much, dude. Pretty much. You're a blot on the earth and a monster. I mean, I'm, you know, look, sorry to break it to you, big buddy, but that's what you are. Okay? So, end of story. No, it's not end of story, but I'm going to take a break. Take a little break. Uh, take a sip of my tea, which is, as always, delicious. I'm going to go online. I'm going to order a jigsaw puzzle, and we'll be right back on Obscure. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back. I did not order a jigsaw puzzle, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. I'm avoiding jigsaw puzzles right now. So he's contemplating, you know... What he is. I cannot describe to you the agony that these reflections inflicted upon me. I tried to dispel them, but sorrow only increased with knowledge. Oh, that I had forever remained in my native wood, nor known nor felt beyond the sensations of hunger, thirst, and heat. Meaning, like, hey, I, you know, I got a little wise, and ignorance really was bliss. Had I only just stayed, you know, an idiot there, things would have been much better. You know, I just could have eaten the berries and all would have been well. Of what a strange nature is knowledge. Oh, yeah, well, that's what I was just saying, dude. It clings to the mind when it has once seized on it, like a leechin on the rock. I've never known how to say that word. L-I-C-H-E-N. Lichen, leechin. I mean, you never hear anybody say it, right? But it's always there. I'm I've cranking up my research machine here. Um, let me just get the crank going and see if the steam is operating. And yeah, it seems to be going okay. Uh, and here's how it sounds. Lichen. Oh, I have heard that. Lichen. Lichen. Okay. I mean, I don't know why it's spelled like that. 
L-I-C-H-E-N, lichen. And now I've lost my place, of course. It clings to the mind when it has once seized on it like a lichen on the rock. I wished sometimes to shake off all thought and feeling, but I learned that there was but one means to overcome the sensation of pain, and that was jigsaw puzzling. Oh, how strange that the big buddy is as into jigsaw puzzling as I have been this past week. You know, you'd think that he wouldn't even know what that was, but I guess, you know, like we're all imbued with a moral consciousness, we all have a deep desire for jigsaw puzzling. It's not what he said. To overcome the sensation of pain, and that was death. A state which I feared yet did not understand. Well, welcome to the club. I admired virtue and good feelings and loved the gentle manners and amiable qualities of my cottagers, but I was shut out from intercourse with them, except through means which I obtained by stealth, when I was unseen and unknown, and which rather increased than satisfied the desire I had of becoming one among my fellows. The gentle words of Agatha and the animated smiles of the charming Arabian were not for me. The mild exhortations of the old man and the lively conversation of the loved Felix were not for me. Miserable, unhappy wretch. Other lessons were impressed upon me even more deeply. I heard of the differences of sexes in the birth and growth of children. How the father doed, doted, that's not how we spell doted. They're spelling it D-O-A-T-E-D. We would spell it D-O-T-E-D. I don't know if that's a typo or if that's just a weird difference in language. How the father doted on the smiles of the infant and the lively sallies of the older child. How all the life and cares of the mother were wrapped up in the precious charge. How the mind of youth expanded and gained knowledge of brother, sister, and all the various relationships which bind one human being to another in mutual bonds. But where were my friends and relations? No father had watched my infant days. No mother had blessed me with smiles and caresses. Or if they had, all my past life was now a blot a blind vacancy in which I distinguished nothing. From my earliest remembrance, I had been as I then was in height and proportion. I had never yet seen a being resembling me or who claimed any intercourse with me. What was I? The question again recurred to be answered only with groans. I will soon explain to what these feelings tended, but will allow me now to return to the cottagers whose story excited in me such various feelings of indignation, delight, and wonder, but which all terminated in additional love and reverence for my protectors. For so I loved, in an innocent, half-painful self-deceit to call them. End of chapter five. What was I? That is really the question. You know, much more 
than to be or not to be, or maybe certainly on equal footing with to be or not to be, is the question, what was I? What am I? I think, therefore, I. Right? I mean, that's kind of it. Who is that, Descartes? That's Descartes, right? You guys know. But I gotta, I gotta look it up. I think, therefore, I am. Who that? Who that? Descartes. Yeah, okay. That's all that's going on here. The big buddy's saying, God damn it, like I was fine when I was just a blob of sensations resting on the riverbank, scrubbing for berries, couldn't distinguish my ass from my elbow, but now you put some words in me, you give me some book learning, and now I am cognizant of myself. I am forced to reflect on the nature of me, which sucks right? And that's all, you know, that's what we always do. Rarely do we reflect on the nature of ourselves and go, hey, pretty good. Pretty good job there, Dave, being you. You know, generally our self-reflection is precipitated by some sort of nagging or meddlesome problem, whether it's a physical problem or a mental, emotional, spiritual problem, some nettlesome thing poking into us, going, hey, what about me? Why won't you help me? And you're like, I, you know, I just want to live my life, man. I just want to eat berries. And you're like, yeah, but this is a problem. You're a problem. And you're like, God damn it. So I think, therefore, I am leads inexorably to to be or not to be. The questions are linked. Because once you decide that you are, you have to then decide whether to be. The existence of yourself implies the non-existence of yourself, and you have to wrestle with that. That's what he's doing. He's going, wait a minute. There's this thing out there called death, and it sounds scary. I don't know what the hell it is. I don't understand it, but I, I don't think I want it. It sounds like maybe, you know, it sounds like maybe being as bad as a slothful Asiatic, or even worse. So once the big buddy starts asking questions, any kind of metaphysical question, you immediately immediately get to the eternal and central metaphysical questions. Am I to be? Question mark. What do I do? How do I persist in this world? The wretch that I am. The blot on the earth that I am. Are we not all such a blot? Are we not all monsters? Well, look, you can go, yeah, I mean, According to, uh, let's go back, who's the author? Vort, Vortnoy? Volney. In Ruins of Empires. What does Volney talk about? The highest highs of man and the lowest lows. The degradation of man, personhood. And the heights to which we aspire. So yes, big buddy, you are a blot on this earth. But... You are also capable of and are also uh, a noble creature. And we all know, we all sense and feel your nobility through your words. You could have snapped Dr. Frankenstein like a twig up there in the Alps, but you didn't do it. You said, come with me, sit by my fire. Let me tell you my story. Let Let me have one last shot at redemption here before I destroy the entire world. 
And if you will just redeem me, Father, Lord, I will be redeemed. Because I am. And if I cannot be, then none other will be along with me. I'll wipe all you fucking fuckers from the face of the earth. But that's not who I am. It's not who I want to be. So these are profound questions. They're the same old profound questions that we've been asking forever, and we never get the answers to them, even though we all kind of sense the eternal truths underlying them. The vibrating strings of reality existing in 11 dimensions or however many there are. We all kind of sense them, but we can't get to them. We just move among them. And that's sort of how he is right now. He's, he's a little string vibrating out there in the shed, looking at the family that he loves, unable to get to them. Well, you know what I recommend, obviously. Jigsaw puzzle. We'll leave it there. Scintillating episode. Exciting questions being tossed out there. Questions of morality, mortality, philosophy, phrenology. I don't even know if phrenology is a word. Sounds like it should be. I don't know what it means if it is. And we'll do it again next week on another jigsaw puzzling episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein is produced by Robin Lynn, Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and myself here in the wilds of Connecticut where I record and elsewhere. Original music by Craig Wedgren. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and drop in some stars for us, why don't you? Write a kind review, why don't you? It helps. How does it help? I have no idea, but it makes me feel good. 